Hello, Merry Christmas. Hi, guys. Kind of wish we had met before we got this close, huh? Don't worry, the, the bright lights make me unable to see most people. Just stay in our own little world. My name is Evan. I'm a pastor down here. And I promise you I'm going to do everything I can to be done in about 20 minutes. I know the attention span of our audience is somewhat short. Feel free to blame that on your little kids if you like. But I know you're craving getting home to that drink and good meal just as much as I am. Maybe some presents. Awesome. So Christmas is a universal holiday to celebrate the birth of Jesus. According to Google, more than 160 countries celebrate Christmas. 160 out of 190-odd countries. But I suspect that out, of, that out of the billions of people recognizing that international holiday, a very small percentage take the time to consider its original purpose and its staggering impact that the birth of Jesus has had and should continue to have on our lives. And I imagine that's true for a lot of us as well. You know, I feel that often our thoughts of Jesus' birth consists of the nativity scene. You've seen in your grandma's house, maybe your mom's house, your great aunt, of a sweet family in a stable surrounded by farm animals and some shepherds. And that's about as far as our thoughts tend to go. Now, this scene is beautiful and it is biblical. Luke 2 talks all about it. But it is missing its heart and it's void of its power. It can still bring us a warm and cozy feeling as we sit up on our hot toddies, as we listen to Uncle Eddie tell us another story. But if we stop our train of thoughts at a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, a sentimental tingle is about as much as we're going to get from this story. Christmas is celebrating God himself, the creator of everything, becoming man. I know that's easy to gloss over, but take a moment to consider the implications of that statement. God himself, the creator of everything, becoming a man. Now in our culture, it's far too easy to dismiss that type of thinking. We see it as archaic or unintelligent. We live in an age of logic and reason, and the idea of supernatural does not fit into our preconceived ways of thinking. But there is just as much evidence and logic, if not more, that you were created. That instead of a random spark in a lifeless universe and billions of years of evolution, we were specifically designed by an all-powerful and eternal being. Both a belief in evolution and a higher power require faith. And from my research and experience, there is more evidence supporting the reality of a God. Okay, so if there is a supernatural, let's just take a moment to believe that, even hypothetically. Why should we trust the Bible instead of one of the dozens and dozens of other faiths? Each one is based off of a belief in something bigger, that there's something that cannot be seen that has a major influence on the tangible. So why Christianity over Buddhism, Taoism, Mormonism, the Wiccan? I go back to logic. This is where my mind lies. The Bible has hands down more evidence for the validity, for its validity than any other form of religion or spirituality. Based on historical proof, 
literary complexity and a person's personal experience, the Bible has proven itself to be an undeniable source of truth. Now, if you've never taken the time to search out the validity of the Bible, do it. So many of us in this room base our life off the Bible. People are not created to blindly follow the faith of others. We are made intelligent so that way we can discover what is true and unchanging. When you take the time to seek it out, to find that truth, then it has the ability to truly transform your life. All right, you're probably wondering at this point, why is he spending so much time in the cerebral on Christmas Eve? All of this rabbit trail is to say Christmas is celebrating the fact that the creator of everything, all that we have ever known or will ever know, left his throne and state of perfection and came down into our broken and imperfect world so that way he could interact with a humanity that rejected him. That thought alone should be startling. But to understand its full implications, for us, in our here and now, we got to answer the question, why? Why did he come? Luke 19.10, Jesus summarizes it so well. If you wouldn't mind putting that up, Kayla. Did I not have it on there? Well, obviously I was busy wrapping presents and helping my wife cook dinner today. Don't ask her that. We didn't have an age-old argument right before I came here about me watching football instead of helping. All right, Luke 19.10. I bet she's blushing right now. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek out and to save the lost. That's his mission statement. That answers that question. Why did he come? But what I'd like to do is kind of spend a little bit more time figuring out what he came to save us from, why he deemed us as lost. So we're going to be in Luke 15, looking at the parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now, I know this one's behind me. At least we got something. Sorry, Kayla, this is her first time doing it. It's all my fault, not yours, I promise. All right, so let's look at... Let's look at the Bible. This is where we get our truth from. So he told them a parable, Jesus talking. Would you mind going back one? Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So he told them a parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Now, parables are designed to communicate a deeper truth by using things that people understand. Are there any shepherds in here? I figured South Dakota's got to be one hand, right? But through logic, through fairy tale, whatever, common sense, we understand the basic concepts of the need of a sheep for a shepherd. The shepherd is there to provide for them. 
to guide them and to protect them. Without the shepherd bringing them to rivers and green pastures, they wouldn't have what they need to survive. Without the shepherd directly leading them through the open pastures, they would be vulnerable to cliffs and ravines, things that are fully unseen to them but could cause them so much harm. Without the shepherd standing guard, the sheep will be attacked by predators. Sheep are fully dependent upon their shepherd. In the same way, we are fully dependent on our creator. He is our provider. Without God, we have nothing. The sun in the sky, the breath in our lungs, and food on the table. Without the one who perfectly designed planet Earth, we wouldn't have an atmosphere that provides us with oxygen. We wouldn't have water cycles that bring us drinkable water and allow the crops to grow. Without God, we would not have the powerful brains that empower us to do so much. He is our provider. He's also our guide. According to Genesis 1.27, we have been made in God's image. A major part of that is our built-in moral compass. No matter what you believe, you have one. Without God, we wouldn't desire to be loved or to love others. We wouldn't know that murder, theft, abuse, lying, all these things are wrong. Within each of us, regardless of our time and place in human history, is an understanding of how to live functional lives in the midst of other people. Without God and the way that he designed us, our world would be in utter chaos. He is our guide. Lastly, he wants to be our protector but we wandered away. Do we have Isaiah 53 in there? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own ways. At birth, every person is snatched away from their shepherd. The predator of sin lies waiting to grab everyone and pull them away from God who is their source of life into a world of selfish pursuit. Let me take a moment to define sin. That can be just as cliche or just as easy to glaze over as a baby in a manger. Sin, simply put, is rebellion against our creator. Out of his perfection, God made a world and designed it to operate perfectly. A place without hatred, greed, faithlessness. A world without scandal or war. We were created to live in total alignment with a God who is love. But humanity chose and chooses every day to be selfish, to do whatever, we seem, whatever seems best to us. By making this choice, we became imperfect or broken. By choosing this path of rejection, we were forced out of our Creator's presence. What is imperfect cannot stay in the midst of perfect without being consumed. That's a whole nother train of thought and sermon. Due to our rebellion against what is eternally good, we became lost, like the sheep in the parable. If you doubt what I'm saying, look at the world we live in. Without being saved, we are destined to be permanently separated from the source of all that is good. Now, this part of the application might be harder for you to comprehend, not really liking the way it's making you feel. Maybe you can understand that God has given us an abundance of natural provision and that we are all hardwired with a sense of morality, but you find it difficult to see your need to be saved. You live a good life. 
You treat others with love. You are a good parent and spouse. You work hard, provide for your family, and care well for your kids. Unlike me, your past is not riddled with poor choices that tore through your life and those around you like a class five hurricane. You strive to be good and do good things. Why would you be destined for something other than heaven or paradise? Now, I understand why your mind gravitates towards this philosophy. This is so much of what our culture believes. But we are operating out of a limited and skewed perspective. From our vantage point, it is easy to exalt our good and to minimize our bad. There are endless examples of people who have been far worse than you. By comparing our state of perfection to others, it's easy to justify our lack of need to be saved. This is exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes did during Jesus' day. If you wouldn't mind bringing back to that first short verse in Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them? Due to their view of themselves and how good they are compared to the low lives of their day, they completely missed their need for what Jesus was bringing. But when we compare ourselves to God, to an undefiled state of perfection, then we begin to see how we really are. It's like we're standing, give me a little analogy. It's like we're standing in a massive valley. You guys can picture this. Some of us are further down than others. Those who are trapped in ravines and sinkholes, while others are up on higher plateaus. Standing on your high spot, it's easy for us to feel like we have it all together, that we are living the good life. We can look down and see people struggling, not being able to put it together. But if we would take some time to look at the mountains that surround us, we would begin to understand how far we are from perfection. Apart from Jesus, every single person that has ever lived or will ever live is imperfect. Therefore, we have all been separated from the one that made us, the one that provides, guides, and protects us. All of humanity has run away from their shepherd. The reality is that we are all lost. So let's bring this back to our guiding question. Right? You end it there, just be depressing. Why did God become a man? So that he could bring us back into the fold. Now for a shepherd to rescue a sheep that wandered away from his protection, he must venture into the wilderness. Think about it. The only way that the truly lost can be found is when somebody goes into the midst of their chaos and brings them out. Out of his great love for humanity, God became one of us. He wandered into our broken and imperfect world so that he could seek the lost and bring us back to where we belong, in his presence. Now when a person recognizes why Jesus came and what he is offering and chooses to cling to him, just like a lost and helpless lamb, they are carried out of their desperate and inescapable state. They are brought back into the eternal pen. It's kind of corny, I thought about not saying it completely safe from the destructive consequences of their rebellion. Eternal separation from their creator, or what we refer to as hell. But man, once we're back in the fold of God, our spirits or our souls, that part of us that transcends the physical, 
They're, per- they're permanently protected. But man, there is so much more. We are also able to be provided for and guided in a new and extraordinary way. Back when we were lost, wandering on our own, we still received God's common graces, like natural provisions and the ability to experience love and joy and peace. Regardless of if you're a Christian or not, you experience those things. We also had an eternal compass that guided us on how to live better lives. And that's so much of what we focus in on that's giving us what we need. We did experience his good, but it was in a very limited form. Once we are back under his unwavering care, he is able to directly guide us into what Jesus describes as the abundant life. Through his direct guidance, he is able to provide us with a life that we all truly desire. Think about this. One that is full of lasting contentment. Imagine how much we want that. Contentment that does not waver. And purpose. Instead of just wandering through our days, wondering what purpose of our life is, God is able to guide us into an understanding of why you were created for this time and this place. Man. It's just incredible when you think about a God that has done that, that wants to give us love and peace and joy regardless of the pain and loss that we come face to face with. It's just, it should be startling. It should even be beyond that. When we cling to Jesus, we have been given, we are given a life that is impossible to have on our own, a life that we are created to experience. And this is why Jesus came. Remember, it's Christmas Eve. That is what we are supposed to be thinking about. That is what we are celebrating. He came to save our souls and to enrich our existence in the here and now. If we take time to consider that this is why we are celebrating this day, it has the ability to completely change your view on reality. One's view on God shapes our perspectives on ourselves, on others, and life in general. To believe that there is no God, to be an atheist, locks you in to a selfish and hopeless world. To believe that God is vindictive and vengeful means that your life is ruled by judging other people and fear of what lies ahead of for you. But to believe that the one who made you was willing to leave his throne to track you down in the midst of your mire and filth so that way he could carry you to a better place, one in which he could truly provide and guide and protect you, To believe this allows you to live a life of hope and peace. It allows you to be far more gracious towards others and inspired to live a selfish life. So I challenge you, right now, right here, when you see that baby in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a lot of you are probably going home to it, take a minute or 20 to consider the life-changing ramifications that that event has had or could have on your life. Then fall to your knees and worship your creator, the one that came to rescue you and give you the life you truly desire. You know, as a a teacher, I used to be a middle school, high school teacher. I love analogies. Physical is what allows us to really grasp hold of what's going on. Um, And I thought about getting 150 sheep, more lambs, and bringing them in. But I thought it might be a little messy and chaotic. So fortunately for all of us, 
we have a tradition of lighting a candle and spreading that around. Now, it's a bit of a shift in metaphor, but everything that I've been telling you is just as true. We live in a world of darkness. And God is the source of light. And so Jesus came into our world of darkness in order to give us light, to give us that which we truly want and need.